I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. You may be seated. Dear God, we just, um, we do just come before you in need, um, reminded with those words that we are just sheep and you're a shepherd and we're in desperate need of you to lead us, to guide us, um, because we're prone to wander. As the song says, we're prone to leave the God we love for other things, lesser things. So God, we just come before you, confess that, and just uh, we're here to, to follow you. We're here to uh, hear your voice. So I pray, Lord, this morning that your voice is the one we hear above all else, above, above all the others. Um, and God, I pray with the psalmist uh, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart this morning would be pleasing to you, God, our Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer. And God and all God's people said, amen. So just wanted to paint a couple pictures right off the bat for us. And then we'll dive in. On a sun-drenched porch, a hot cup of coffee in my hand, reading scripture. The morning sun peeking over the hills, washing over everything so as to cast a halo every, over every leaf and blade of grass, the sound of a mountain stream below, the hummingbirds above, Lori by my side doing the same. Listening to Jerry and Jack call a game we're barely winning on AM radio. The smell of sawdust, tools, cords, and ladders leaving a breadcrumb trail from the garage to our latest project to make our house a home. Breathing hard, sweat threatening to beat on my forehead as Josiah, my oldest, and I figure things out as we go. Sharing why I believe that Jesus is real. My heart ready to beat out of my chest as I share the compassion of a father running to us with open arms because as I say it again, it's as if I'm hearing it again for the first time out of my own mouth and seeing eyes widen and smiles widen as I say it. So what do those three scenes have in common? I believe they're all examples of when and where I've experienced rest, true rest. All three of those. Now, here's a disclaimer. Um, what I'm about to say, you might not agree with. Um, I'm still wrestling through myself, like, and I'm not even sure I agree with what I'm going to say here. I'm still wrestling through my, with my doctrine, my theology of what true biblical rest is in the midst of a restless world. So this is my take. You may, may or may not agree. Um, that's okay. Um, I just encourage you to go home. And, and just consider it and, and just study the scripture for yourself. What is true biblical rest? That's why we're here. We, we study the scriptures together. We, we, we learn, we meditate as we go. But I hope at the very least, this will cause us to, to wonder, cause us to seek scripture. Um, but here's my take. Um, what do you, but what do you call rest? I'm curious. What do you call rest? 
Where is the place, what is the scenario where you can truly rest? Maybe it's some of the scenes I described. Maybe it's working in the garden. Maybe it's in the mountains. Can you picture that place? Can you smell it? Can you hear it? Who's the person you're with in that place? The culture we live in defines rest as leisure. Leisure removed from responsibility, finding ways to get away from the routine obligations and responsibilities, right? To do fun stuff, leisure. Vegas, Disney, entertainment, getting away from the kids for a time, maybe. This is not the way the Bible defines rest. I don't believe. In the opening pages of the Bible, we see that God, after six days of work and making everything, he made humans. And then on the seventh day, the Sabbath day, he rested. He rested. In the account, every day has an evening but the seventh. Every day has an evening but the seventh day. And the idea, I believe, is that the seventh day was meant to continue on and on. On, on, on the seventh day, God created just, I, I believe he created rest. I like to say he created rest just by doing it. The idea of rest was created by God by doing it on the seventh day. He got his hands dirty by forming Adam and Eve out of the earth. And then in the next chapter, we read that he's still hanging out in the garden, walking amongst them in his creation in chapter three. Resting wasn't leaving for God. It, apparently, rest for God wasn't getting away from the kids. Rest for humans didn't just mean cessation of work. It didn't mean leisure. It meant being who God meant them to be, fulfilling the purpose for which he created them, namely being his image bearers on earth, expanding the Garden of Eden, because the Garden of Eden was only a plot of earth, and it was meant to cover the whole earth. And so at that work, and best of all, he was with them to share all that work with them. Rest in Genesis 1 through 3, I believe, was working for Adam and Eve, actually. But it was a joyous, peaceful, fulfilling, life-giving work, not a life-sucking work that they needed to find ways to escape from, is how I would define rest. It's when what you're made to do and what you want to do merge. It's when what you're supposed to do and what you're pleased to do collide and become the same thing. Joyful, peaceful, fulfilling, life-giving work is true rest. How often do you find that what you're supposed to do and what you want to do are the same thing? How often do you find what you're responsible for is actually what you delight in doing? How often does doing what you're made to do and doing what you take joy in merge? As often as those things collide, you're experiencing rest. And that, that's my belief. That's my take. That's my proposal for you. I'll lay it before you for your scrutiny. Um, that's what I believe rest, the essence of rest is. But ponder it. Think about it. Search scriptures. Call me up for coffee and challenge me. That's cool. Um, I'm still figuring it out myself. But that's what I believe rest is. And I, I believe to, to be who we were made to be. Whether that's, it doesn't exclude leisure, but it doesn't exclude work either, I believe. So moving on. We all know, though, the seventh day had an evening, right? The seventh day did have an evening. It came to a close when Adam and Eve decided they wanted more than the rest that God had given them. So Yahweh was gracious. Yahweh God was gracious enough to give them what they wanted. 
Okay, you can try this out. Instead of meaningful, uh, life-giving work where every output is multiplied by every effort, you can have striving and sweating and toiling where every output is only a fraction of what you, of every effort. And what made it all collapse? What made the resting turn into toiling? Uh, when the voice of the serpent grew louder than the voice of the Lord. That's what, that's what it all fell apart. When the voice of the serpent grew louder than the voice of the Lord. You know, God's holding out on you. You could have more. He's holding you back. You could be like him in knowing good and evil. That's what they heard. And they followed it. So this morning, we continue this look at Psalm 23. And I hope we could see this together, that true rest in this broken, restless world um, that we live in is implicit trust of our shepherd and listening to his voice above all others. That's my proposal. That's my thesis. That's what I want us to see. I want us to see from Psalm 23 too that resting is trusting. That's the title of the sermon. Resting is trusting. So this is how we're going to do it. First, we're going to look at the two phrases from verse 2, which is where we are today. And then we're going to unpack their meaning. Second, unpack what they mean. And third, see how these two phrases in this verse are true, only if two other things are true. Namely, that the Lord our shepherd is with us. And number two, that the Lord our shepherd is trustworthy. And fourth, we'll look at the challenges of believing those things because it's actually hard to believe those things in this world sometimes. And then lastly, hopefully we'll walk away with the remedy to those two challenges. The challenges of not believing those things, that God is with us and that God is trustworthy. And maybe as a result, we'll be more restful people. That's my hope. We'll be more restful people when we leave or have a plan at least. Be, be people who merge what we are made to do with what we delight in doing. And that's my hope. So here we go. Psalm 23.2, you can turn on your Bibles, um, scroll to them, flip the page. But if you have uh, your Bible on your phone, I encourage you to turn off, if you don't already, your notifications. Because if you don't, later on in this message, you're going to feel guilty um, because I'm going to call you out. Um, so we, we want to hear the voice of God, not, of, not your Twitter feed. So if you have notifications now and you're looking at your Bible, turn it off. Otherwise, you'll feel really guilty later on. I don't want you to do that. Um, so let's look, at verse, uh, let's look at this verse too. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. So let's look at this first phrase uh, in verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. What does this mean? It sounds kind of forceful at first glance. Um, I'm not sure I like a shepherd making me do anything, um, even if it's lying down. Um, but it actually means what it says. It means he makes me lie down or he causes me to lie down. The Hebrew verb there, the tense is a causal tense. It's causing me to lie down. And so what does that mean? So I like what Philip Keller, a former shepherd, a literal shepherd with sheep turned pastor, he wrote a book about the 23rd Psalm from experience. And this is what he has to say about sheep. The strange thing about sheep is that because of their very makeup, it is almost impossible for them to be made to lie down unless four requirements are met. Number one, 
they refuse to lie down unless they are free from all fear. Number two, they won't lie down unless they are free from friction with others of their own kind. Number three, sheep will not lie down unless they are free of pests like flies or parasites. And number four, sheep won't lie down unless they're free from hunger. So he makes me lie down by the removal, I believe, by the removal of distractions, by the removal of fear. He makes me lie down by removing reasons for me to stay up. Fear, tension, aggravations, hunger. So the second phrase in verse two, he leads me beside still waters. So if I offered all of you, um, an all expense, and I can't, by the way, since I have no money, but it, I would offer all of you an all expenses paid vacation for you and your family for a week, but it had to be by and surrounded by or focused on water, what would you pick? Would it be a river that you could fish in? Would it be a river you could kayak in? Would it be the ocean where you could water ski or jet ski or parasail? Would it be a quiet, serene lake and a cabin by that lake and just canoeing on that lake or whatever? Would it be poolside with a book? And most of our vacations, it's interesting, have water in them, you know? Sometimes we don't want water, the raining kind, the falling kind, like camping, but usually we go to a place where there's water to hang out in or play in, right? Um, and, and, and in the ancient Near East, when they thought about water, and when you read the Bible and look in different places where water appears, many times it's a scary thing. It's foreboding, it's turbulent, it's death-inducing, it's, it's, that's the way it's described. It's because they didn't have the technology like we have that keeps us safe in the water, like life jackets and compasses and, and you know, unsinkable boats like the Titanic and stuff like that. Um, they have, they have, we had technology that they didn't have, and so sometimes it's a... It's, it's, it's a scary thing. That's the place where people go and die. You know, think about all the uh, shipwrecks from Paul. Think about Jonah. Um, but sometimes it's a good reference, like here, peaceful, still water. Or you'll hear Jesus when he says, um, believing in him is having like streams of flowing uh, water coming out of you, living water. And living there just means moving, means river or spring. But many times it's like describing marching armies, like Pharaoh's armies, and, and uh, it's a metaphor for chaos. And so here, when it's described as still water, it's giving a picture to an ancient Near Eastern mind. It's like, ah, I don't have to be afraid of this water because my shepherd is leading me to this water. It's, it's, it's a beautiful place, not a chaotic place. And one person's chaotic water um, is another person's peaceful water. Like when you look at the pooter, you might think of a place where you could fish and get trout and it's an awesome place to be beside. When I see the pooter, I remember a place that almost took my son. A, a, a place, I love the pooter river, by the way. I don't, I'm not afraid of it. But I remember this time when my son almost drowned in it. And it's scary. And then uh, maybe for you, the ocean, you think of surfing or you think of picking up seashells or whatever, wading in the water. My wife thinks of Jaws. Um, here the picture's calm. It's still, it's restful, peaceful. Though all the world may be a torrent and flood, my shepherd has led me to this restful place. 
So these two phrases form a couplet in Hebrew poetry. Maybe you've heard that before, but Hebrew poetry is often in couplets, and sometimes they're contrasting, sometimes they build each other, but this one is a couplet that reinforces each other and essentially saying the same thing. Yahweh God is my shepherd. He leads me in places and circumstances of rest. And last week, you heard a little bit about sheep, mostly from the kids, really smart kids you guys all have up here. Um, sheep are stupid, sheep are smelly, sheep wander, um, and those are all true. They follow each other off cliffs and into, into raging water that they, they drown in. But here's something else. You won't find any lone rogue sheep in the wild. They're the rare isolated hunter sheep in the jungle, you know, stalking its prey. That's not a, it's not a thing. Uh, the, uh, millions of years ago, there weren't sheep in the wild who just started to like wanted to be together. That didn't happen. Um, and thousands of years ago, you wouldn't see sheep without a shepherd. The shepherd's always with the sheep. However, I did an, uh, uh, there are a few exceptions. I did an internet search. It's kind of funny. I typed in rogue sheep. Um, and this is what I came up with. So here's the first picture. It's a known fact that the sheep that give us steel wool have no, no natural enemies. Um, far side. I love it. Um, so those are kind of rogue, rough-looking sheep. You want to leave them alone. Shepherds don't want to hang out with them. Um, and then there's this next slide. Um, maybe you've heard of this guy. Shrek. Shrek the sheep. He's a real... In New Zealand, um, let me read about him. For the past few years, one sheep story has been circulating on social media. And since then, this adorable creature has gained, that's debatable, has gained worldwide recognition. One day, he managed to escape his enclosure. And from that day on, nobody knew where he went. When he was found again, people couldn't believe what they saw. He was totally unrecognizable to those who knew him. This is because he was covered in about 60 pounds of wool. Um, for six years, he hid in local caves, so he was able to escape his fate of getting his wool sheared. The next slide, next slide is his owner. When, John, when his owner, John Perriam, saw his sheep again, he was completely surprised. He said that Shrek's new appearance was more like some biblical creature. Um, and the third slide, uh, two weeks after Shrek's discovery, this is gross, I'm sorry to subject you to this. Uh, two weeks after Shrek's discovery, a professional was hired to shear off the creature's woolen fleece. The event, which took 20 minutes, was broadcast on national television. And, you know, like that guy looks like he's about ready to be yak right there on that wool. It's just, I can't imagine how it smells. And then the next slide. Um, overall, his fleece weighed about 60 pounds, which means it is enough to make suits for 20 guys. So there's Shrek and there's his wool from six years of growth. Kind of nasty. Uh, yeah, it's not a fun job, I don't think. So aside from steel wool sheep and, and Shrek, sheep were made for man to tend. God made them an animal that needed a shepherd. There are no rogue sheep. Sheep aren't meant to be in the wild. They're meant to be tended. Otherwise they scatter, they get eaten, or they look like that. Um, there's only one way for sheep to lie down in green pastures. There's only one way they can find still waters. The shepherd has to be with them. He has to be among the flock. Philip Keller goes on in his book to describe the only solution for all four reasons the sheep won't lie down, fear, tension, aggravations, and hunger. The shepherd is the solution. If he is among the flock... They don't fear predators. If he is among the flock, they don't fight with each other. If he is in the flock, he can see and take care of all the pests that get at them. 
If he is among the flock, he can see if any are hungry and can lead them to green pastures. In Ezekiel 34, I think Dan alluded to this last week, and we're going to be alluding to this this chapter. It's a beautiful picture of what a shepherd is and how God is that shepherd. Um, But in Ezekiel 34, uh, the Lord promises his people that he will be their shepherd because all the people, all the leaders of the people of Israel, the priests, the kings, they failed their job miserably. They were feeding themselves. They weren't taking care of the sheep. They were leading them astray to idolatry. That's why the exile happened. And so Ezekiel, like all the prophets, warned the people. But, they, but, he, but he promises in this, this, this chapter, it's beautiful, promises. Listen to this, Ezekiel 34, 11 through 12. For thus says the Lord God, and this is because of their failure, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep, they have been scattered. So will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And in Ezekiel 34, 15 through 16, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. It's the same phrase in Psalm 23. And how will he do that? How does he make them lie down? The next verse, I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. And then Ezekiel 34, 30 through 31. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God with them. It's Emmanuel, right? And they And that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. My people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture. And I am your God, declares the Lord God. Did you hear it? We, he will seek out his sheep as a shepherd does, who is among his flock, among them. And they will know that I am the Lord, their God, with them. All the promises of Ezekiel 34 of Yahweh God being a shepherd for his sheep and the promise of Psalm 23 that David is picturing there that that God is a shepherd, his shepherd, his personal shepherd, as he wrote in this poem, are met in a person. They're met in a person, Jesus. They're met in a person. And we're going to talk about, we're going to look at that, look at how Jesus is a shepherd in a moment. Yahweh can't be a shepherd and remain far away. There's no shepherding app these days where you can like shepherd from the comfort of your own home. Uh, You you know, you can't use drone technology to shepherd sheep these days. You can't, there's no smart pasture technology. There's no smart shepherd technology. You have to be with them. Um, There's a a picture here um, of Lori with a real legitimate Modern day shepherd outside of Bethlehem. She went to Israel like 10 years ago. You got that, Lucas? If you bring that up. That's what a shepherd looks like today. He doesn't look like Greg Johnson with the robe and the sandals. He's wearing a leather jacket. He has a cell phone. Uh, he's actually, that's a goat Lori has. Uh, so maybe he's a goat herd or sheep herd, herder. I don't know. But anyway, um, this is outside of Bethlehem and there's the pasture. And I think the flock she said is, is nearby. Um, so he's always, the shepherds, shepherds are always with their sheep, always. Principle number one. 
In order to find true rest, you must know and believe that the Lord is with you. In order to find true rest, you must know and believe that the Lord is with you. Not only do shepherds need to be among the sheep to do their job, but the sheep have to trust him, right? They have to trust him. You could have, impost- you could have imposters of the sheep, but the sheep won't listen to them. They won't lie down with someone they don't recognize because they don't trust him. In order for sheep to lie down, they must implicitly trust their shepherd. In John 10, we see the fulfillment of Ezekiel 34 and Psalm 23 with flesh on it. Jesus says this in John 10, 1 through 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own, vo- his, his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they won't follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Principle number two, in order to find true rest, you must know and believe that the Lord is trustworthy. You must know and believe that he's with you and you must know and believe that the Lord is trustworthy to find true rest. So those are the principles, and here's, here's the challenges to believing that. Here's the challenges. As we, as we talked about, the Lord walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He was present physically with them. They could hear his physical footsteps. He was with them spiritually in every way that they needed. He was with them. He was a shepherd of them. They had green pastures. They had still waters beyond their wildest dreams, right? They had, they had everything, yet they doubted that he had their best in mind. Though they knew the voice of their true shepherd, they listened to the voice of another. So here's the truth. You and I can know that God is trustworthy. You and I can know that he fulfills all his promises. You and I can see it in scripture and believe it. Yeah, yeah, God is trustworthy. We can see that. We can know that and believe in it and still act as if he can't be trusted. Some of you deal with anger, some of you jealousy, some addictions, lust, materialism, gossip. I deal with some of those, but my biggest battle is contentment. Uh, Contentment, and it keeps me from lying down. It keeps me from lying down. You know, are you sure that there's not a greener pasture, God, than this? I mean, I could think of a better scenario for myself if I was writing my story. Um... Aren't there better sheep I could be with? Um, I want more. Yeah, I know I'm saved. Yeah, I know I get heaven and all this cool stuff. Can I get more? That over there, that looks better. Are you sure you know what you're doing, God? And if you came up to me last Sunday after our gathering and asked me, Chris, is God trustworthy? I would say, yes, absolutely. All the time, every time. He's always trustworthy. I would say that. And then if you shadowed me last week, functionally, I acted as if that wasn't true. We got some free money from, I call it free money. I don't know if there's any such thing, but I got free money from the insurance company, got hail damage, 
truck doesn't even look like it's damaged, so I'm not going to fix it. It's like, free money, woohoo. Um, the water heater goes out two days later after we get the check, and I have to change that. And if you shadowed me that day, I, didn't, I wasn't looking like I was enjoying my green pastures that day. Um, I was grumbling. I was hanging my head. I was upset. I was not trusting God functionally. I didn't say out loud, how could you, God? I didn't think it. God, you don't know what you're doing. I never say that, but I act that. Ask me today if, you, if, if I think my children are green pastures and still waters from the Lord, and I will say absolutely. Then come over some Tuesday morning when I'm trying to get a particular one of them ready to get out the door, and you might, it might look like I want a greener pasture at that moment. Ask me today if Lori is green pasture, my wife, and still water from the Lord, and I'd say yes, absolutely. It asked me last week when we couldn't, when we, uh, couldn't decide what to do with said free money. And uh, she approaches the world completely opposite than I do. And uh, at that moment, it might have looked like I wanted a greener pasture. How about you? Does God know what he's doing with you? Did he give you the right spouse? The right job? The right obedient and compliant kids you dreamed of? The right body type? when you look in the mirror. The right personality. Did he know what he was doing? Maybe you want to be extroverted, but you're introverted. That plagued me when my, in my past. I just wanted to be different. That depression you deal with, did God know what he was doing when he allowed that? How about that chronic illness you have or the sickness you have? Those signs of age that are showing, does God know what he's doing? Would, would the way you deal with those things look like trust in your good shepherd in providing you what you need? Or if we could hear your thoughts, would it look like you're searching for greener pastures or stiller waters than what God has provided? We have to trust that this pasture and these still waters are the best still waters and green pastures because God knows what he's doing, doesn't he? He can be trusted, right? One reason we won't lie down is because functionally we don't trust he's led us to green pastures. Another reason we won't lie down is because we're too busy listening to every voice but his. So I have a lot of pictures this morning. Here's another picture for you. Lucas, you can put that one up. Okay, so neurologists recently have discovered that inside each one of our brains is one of these things. It's called a mind amp. And uh, so there's dials. Everyone, ha everyone has different dials with different titles on them, different things. But each one of them has a volume setting going up to 11. And uh, you can, each one of us turns them differently. And maybe your brain looks like this, maybe it doesn't. I'm not saying this is necessarily mine. But we all have these different, different uh, voices we listen to, right? Which one is turned up the loudest? Maybe Pinterest would be on your mind amp. Like, you know, maybe it would be turned up to 10 or 11. And everything, every time you have people over at your house, it has to be an event that rivals the royal wedding. And each time it has to be better and better and better. That's keeping you from lying down. Or maybe there's 
uh, a bunch of knobs. Uh, maybe there's a, there's a ton of them, and they're kind of neutral, innocuous knobs by themselves, like podcast, radio, stock market, morning news, sports center, evening news, weather, traffic, WebMD. And if you had just one or two of them turned up to three or four, it wouldn't be so bad. But all of them at three or four keeps you from lying down. It just blurs out any voice of God. It's just so much input. Or maybe there should be a knob called notifications on there. This is the part where you'd feel guilty if you didn't turn them off. Um, Notifications. And maybe it's turned to nine or 10 in your brain and three or four times a minute it pings or it whistles or it gongs or whatever the onomatopoeia is your phone is set to. And uh, it comes to you every minute. And for for a brief second, it doesn't matter who you're talking to. It could be your wife, could be the person you love the most, but there's a ping and she's not there anymore. And all of a sudden, there's this thing you have to listen to. It's another voice. Or you're in the middle of a Bible study, and you hear a ping, and God's not there anymore. You hear you, someone's tweeting you. Someone's texting you. Someone's emailing you, and you got to get to it. And it's keeping you from lying down. And maybe Instagram or Facebook is pushing the 11 threshold or some other social media. And maybe there's a constant stream of voices coming at you, which then causes you to turn up the me knob all the way um, and, and, and drowning out everything with sounds like, I'm glad I don't look like that. Or um, thoughts like, I wish I looked like that. Or way to go, man, you're going to get fired if you keep being such a screw up. Or I'm never going to get a job. I'm never going to get out of this job. If they knew the real me, they'd dump me. I don't know how I'm going to send my kids to college. They're going to be on the street unless I could figure out my finances. No guy will ever pursue me. I made a mistake in marrying them. How could I approach God after doing that? And on and on and on. And that me voice is keeping you from lying down. John 10, three through five, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. How often do you turn all the knobs down and turn his voice up? And it's just you and him. You're still before the Lord. Turn the radio off, take the earbuds out, and it's just you and him. How often? Does your mind amp have a Bible knob on it? Or does a therapist, counselor, or talk show host get more airtime? It's keeping you from lying down. If we listen to other voices more, it means we don't trust him functionally. We could say it here. We can say, yeah, brother, preach it. We can say, amen. We can say, yeah, I trust him. But if we listen to other voices more functionally, we don't. Resting is trusting. Resting is trusting. Adam and Eve heard and listened to a voice drowning out the Lord's. And they left, they left a garden-like green pasture, still water of rest. And they were exiled into a desert of restlessness that you and I live in. Israel wandered through a desert for 40 years. 
listening to and being led by their shepherd, Lord, Yahweh, God. They got to their promised green pastures and then they stopped listening to his voice and were exiled back out into the desert. They actually stopped listening before they got there and God almost wiped them out. But you know that story. You can read it. Jesus, our good shepherd, left the perfect garden, green pastures, still waters in the presence of, of, of the Lord, in, in the Trinity, the Godhead, perfect relationship. He left that to enter into exile on this earth. And he walked this earth um, in the desert, this restlessness. And he walked in the desert for 40 days and heard a voice, just like Adam and Eve, but he didn't listen to that voice. He turned up another voice a lot louder. It was God's word. And that's the only thing that pushes, pushed Jesus through what he did on this earth. The green pasture that God set out for him, the still water that God laid out for him, the reason Jesus made it through the end. You read John is he, he followed his father's voice. He did what his father told him to do. He always obeyed his father, his shepherd in heaven. He always listened. God's voice was louder than that voice in the desert. He triumphed so he could lead his disciples, you and I, and eventually us with, our, with his voice, our true shepherd. The lot that Jesus had on this earth was to come and die. That was his green pasture. That was the still water the father had for him. He laid down in that pasture. He stayed. He didn't stray. He saw it through to the end. He never stopped listening, even to the end. Even to the end, like on the cross, when his father turned his back and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's like the first time he's never heard his father's voice. And he did that for you and I so that he could lead us, so we could hear his voice and hear his father's voice and we could be shepherded into green pastures, still waters. John 10 14 through 18. I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. That's you and me if we follow him. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. He followed his Father all the way to the end until he couldn't hear his voice anymore. But now he's seated at the right hand with him forever. Jesus trusted his father. He listened to his voice. He, he lay down his life to be our good shepherd. So we could trust him, listen to his voice, and lie down in green pastures, walk beside still waters. He lay down his life so we could lie down and have life. It's a beautiful picture. So do you trust in his presence? Is he with you? Do you trust his voice? Do you trust him? 
only when we implicitly trust the very near, very present voice of our shepherd will we experience the joy of of what we're supposed to do and what we want to do are together in perfect rest. True rest. Resting is trusting. Let me pray. Dear Father, we... so often come to you even now as I speak and we talk, we, we, we call out, we speak with our voice and so often we don't listen. God, um, we, we, are, we are prone to wander, um, God, but you, <laughs> though our sins are many, your mercy is more and you are a shepherd who's patient and you'll still keep on speaking. You speak now. You're speaking always. Lord, help us be people. Help us be sheep who listen, who hear your voice above all the others. Let your voice, God, cut through everything else. This morning, even, even now, um, as we worship together in song, as we lift our voices to you, God, help us by your spirit to hear your voice even as we sing. Even as we sing, that it is well with our souls, because, Jesus, you're a good shepherd. So help us, God, be shepherds, I mean, sorry, sheep that hear your voice above all else. God, may may it be so. We pray this in your name, Jesus.